there's blood all over the streets right now. And it's actually, we, that makes us so excited though. Like we are grabbing positions at such discounts. Welcome to Funds That Won, where we dive into some of the world's most renowned investment funds. We'll interview investment managers across the alternative landscape and learn how they built their million and even billion dollar asset management empires. We'll explore teams, structures, strategies, and best practices in launching and running alternative investment funds. All right, I had an awesome conversation with really good friend, business partner, Bridger Pennington, uh, who I love and admire. You know, we, we dove deep into fund structures, how he got started, his strategies, you know, just his entire journey really in fund development and the roles that he's played and has attributed to his success. So I think you guys are really gonna like this conversation. All right, Bridger, tell us 30 seconds, one minute, why people wanna to listen to you today. <laughs> um, so I am the founder of Fun Launch, co-founder of Fun Launch. We've, we, uh, us together have helped over 55,000 students around the world. We throw big events. Um, it's just fun to be on the show, by the way, with you, it's so fun. Uh, I actually have the founder of three investment funds. I currently, I have two funds previously exited and, and cycled, which has been awesome. We can talk about those as well. And currently I run a hedge fund that's in the cryptocurrency space, an eight figure fund. We've done pretty well. We've run that for just over a year right now. And so some pretty funds. We have those funds. We now, and then we're, me and you actually are partners on, I think eight funds looking to yep. be 10 funds here soon. We have uh, multiple student, funds, I think 12 student funds over hundred million, 54 student funds over $10 million out of our group. So we've helped a ton of fund managers. I'm kind of saying this as we, cause we I love it. Yeah, Lincoln's no, done great. a lot of this too. So, which is cool. It's fun to be on. Well, today I want to talk specifically about your current fund, your crypto fund, right? Like uh, I'd love to just jump in there and talk about some of these other things, but I mean, why crypto man? Like what led you to a crypto fund? Yeah, it's funny. So my first two funds were debt funds. Um, we were doing lending, which is, by the way, I think is an awesome way to start for anybody like getting in. I don't, there's a lot of different funds you could do like venture capital. You could do a private equity fund, a hedge fund, a debt fund where you're doing maybe hard money loans or short-term loans, in my opinion, is a really good way to start and just get return and get it's just just, easy. It's, it's a lot easier. It's a lot, it makes just sense. Like, Hey, we're going to give you a loan. If you don't pay us back, we're going to take an asset from you. That's worth more than the loan. It's just, it's very it's collateralized loans. Not that hard to understand. Um, as long as you can ensure that that collateral is actually coming to you, it's pretty much a win-win. Additionally, these are typically short-term. So a lot of our loans we were doing were two months, three months. And so we could get returns very quickly and I could pay back my investors. So what happened the first two or three years, these investors that kind of just gave me, giving me a chance, like Bridger, I'm going to just give you some money. Good luck. I was paying them 2000, 5,000, $8,000 a month, every yeah. month. And they were like, whoa, this is working okay, I'll give you some more. I'll tell my friends. And it built my, this little name for myself as a, at the beginning syndicate and then a fund manager that was managing, you know, doing millions of dollars of deals a year and built me this tracker over four and a half years. And then we had a competitor come and actually buy out our entire fund, which was pretty cool. Yeah. So well, I did. Oh, let, well, let me ask you about that because I love that you brought it up because it really wasn't a lot of money uh, when you were first no. starting. Mm -mm. And a lot of people think that, you know, you have to have hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, which is just utterly false. I mean, mm -hmm. how much did you start with is first fund was 49,000, I think $700. Yeah. Like, I mean, like anyone, nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like literally anyone can yeah. put together 50 grand. Yeah. Right. And get started. And I think it, it teaches people about, uh, you know, how to be a CIO. Mm. So let me ask you this. Did you ever lose money on that one? Did you ever lose anyone's money? Uh, no, as a conglomerate, we had a couple of loans go bad, yeah. but we were doing lots of loans. Our average loan size was like $3,000. They were short term, small loans. I think our default rate was about 2%. Mm -hmm. So in over three, three to four years, we did over two to 300 deals. Yeah. And I think total, maybe five went bad, but overall our first fund, we got a 64% return cash and cash return to investors. Next year, we got a 62. 
We then got a 49 and then a 37, I believe, cash on cash return to investors. And then you sold is, it. And then we had a competitor come and buy us and we sold it. So we exited that fund. Why'd you sell it? A um, couple reasons. It was hard to scale. We were managing just about, um, well, it, it depending on it fluctuated. It was up and down because it was open-ended fund, but it wasn't that big. Like we couldn't, I just knew this would never be a $50 million fund or a $100 million fund because we were so constrained by deal flow. Now it made good returns, but it was pretty small. Um, additionally, I wanted to, I was, I started my first fund at 22. By the time I sold, I was 26 and I wanted to actually cycle a fund. Mm. I wanted to have someone come in, buy us out. Actually, I, I wanted to learn the process of what it's like to sell a fund. And I also wanted to pay back all my investors, all their principal as well. Cause I was paying distributions, but I hadn't paid back their principal because it was an open-ended fund. So to actually fully cycle, Hey, I paid you back your principal plus a 62, 49 and 37% over three, three years or three and a half years. This was an awesome full circle. I wanted to have the full life cycle of this fund, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it, cause at the same time we had started this group where we were actually coaching people to launch funds. And I, I wanted to personally, I want to go through the learning process of doing and cycling through a full fund. Do you, do you have a big team on that one or is it pretty small? Uh, about five people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they all stayed and then you left. I think two or three stayed. This the buying company was a competitor, so they had a team as oh, well. Okay. They didn't need everybody. Um, and then I was fully exited out within I think a month or two. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that you can actually sell your fund, right? Your mm -hmm. general part so your general partnership is a business that has revenues, right? And it has a associated enterprise value. So I mean, was that was that the plan from the beginning or did it just kind of fall upon you for those that are thinking about selling funds? Like how did that? It, for me, it wasn't the plan from the beginning. Yeah. My plan from the beginning, just so everyone's aware, was, and you're not gonna be a billionaire running a $50,000 fund. Or at our yeah. time we were running, we were doing multiple, I, I, was, I think we did two to $4 million of loans yeah. over every year, I think it was our turn, something like that. So I was, I was making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in college, which was cool. That's sweet. Six figure income myself. But the biggest reason I did it was for the, for the track record, yeah, for the process, for the systems, for getting investors to trust me with money. And yeah, cool. I made a couple hundred thousand dollars a year at, at in college, which is, that's a, like, yeah. you're like a billionaire in college if yeah. you're making a, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's all for, it's all relative, but, uh, Anyways, I wanted to have the process and structure because I knew long-term I wanted to do funds and I needed to start somewhere. So that's where I wanted to start. I love that. Well, and what I know about you is you then, you basically tried several different, you know, strategies, investment mm. strategies after that, and then ultimately landed on your now crypto fund. Yes. So, I mean, talk us through that kind of phase in between where you were exploring different, you know, investment strategies until you found one you like. Yeah, this is, um, I actually gave a speech on this at Fund Launch Live in front of 2000 people to, sh to show them, hey, I had already done two funds. I then, we actually had an idea where we were gonna do a secondary fund. So this great awesome, and I followed what we teach is the fund launch formula. So I found this great deal. It was a secondary fund. We could buy a position. It was in a bigger, huge real estate fund. It was about a $40 million position. This investor needed liquidity. They wanted out in the next 60 days. They were willing to sell their position for $34 million. So it was about a $6 million spread, just face value. And then this fund was already three and a half years into the fund. Mm -hmm. So which typically in a closed ended real estate fund year six, seven, and eight are the most fruitful of those years. So we would, we were posting, maybe this position would be worth, you know, a 48 to $50 million position. But at the time it was marked at the $40 million position. So anyways, we were trying to put money together. We tried to put all this together. It's right during COVID. So they needed liquidity bad. Anyways, during that, there was 60 days. We had this tight window. 
we were getting money together and we didn't get the money in time. Someone else had already gotten money and beat mm-hmm. us to that deal. And then we thought maybe we could do this in a bigger sense. We could go find, be a secondary fund and go take out secondary positions. We actually interviewed a bunch of fund managers, by the way, really cool model. Oh yeah. Oh, secondaries we, is awesome. Secondaries. I, I talked to a fund manager just here locally. They managed about 30 to 40 million on their second fund. Their average IRR was over a hundred percent. Well, you're buying things at such a discount, right? Mm-hmm. And like just right off the bat, plus appreciation. So yes. it's a really sexy business model investment. And, yeah. And their model, Sorry. they would go to venture backed companies. So they'd go to a company that just raised their series A. Mm-hmm. There's a marketing manager that's got a million dollars of stock options and maybe doesn't want to exercise them or just wants liquidity. And they'd come in and say, Hey, you got a million dollars of, of stock here. We'll offer you 700,000 today cash. If you just give us your position and uh, often more often than not, they'd find people in companies that want to some liquidity in their positions. So they would buy these into these companies at a discount, not into a fund, but into a venture back company. And that was their plan. And they were, they were already well over hundred percent IRRs in their fund, which is pretty cool. So that was our first idea. Ended up not panning out. We didn't have the right team for it. Mm. So I, I, we, I think about funds. I'm pretty good at like managing a fund as a fund manager compliance, the extra structure, working with the SEC, all the operations. I'm, I'm pretty good at that. I, I would call myself a pretty average investor. I don't, I don't claim to be an above average, crazy, smart investor in any category. What I like to do is partner with people who are very good at experts in their field. That's what I like to call them. So you like to partner with the CIO? Yes. I gotcha. love to partner with a CIO that's, that sits in their basement and trades options 12 hours a day mm. or understands crypto or real estate, whatever. Um, and I just do that because I understand my age and experience. And I just, I thought, Hey, if I can get really good at being a fund manager and understanding the mechanics of funds, I can do very well. And also I'm a, I'm a pretty good capital raiser as well. So if I can bring capital and fund management to the table, I'd love to partner with operators. Hmm. So we then explored a, uh, an idea with a different, when you're saying we, is it just, it's really just well, you, you and prospective partners. Exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. More like me. I explored, <laughs> I was exploring this with different prospective partners. Yeah. So then we had another person that came to us that was like, Hey, we're going to buy up. This is during COVID big box stores, retail's dying. we got these big box stores. Let's go buy them up. Let's turn them into a couple of different things. It could be office space. It could be self-storage. They could be um, a bunch of different things that you could do with these big box, just empty boxes that are yeah. going to sell for cheap. So that was, hey, it's a cool idea. We then started to explore this management team. So, and then this is me testing out and kind of dating these managers over about four to five months. We went and tried to, I was like, Hey, I need a process. Let's underwrite a deal right now. Let's go through the process. And I, and I made them build me a pro forma. How would you approach this deal? And after four to five months, it was apparent, at least the people I was working with, they had some ideas, but they weren't as competent as I would like to see for, if we're going to build a hundred million dollar fund, we needed someone or other people that were more competent around that sector of the business. So you killed it. So I kind of just said, Hey, I, I don't, if I'm going to raise money and I'm going to put all my horses behind the thing, it's got to be, it's got to be lights out. Amazing. Yeah. I don't want to just kind of, Oh yeah, we hope it works out. I, we got to be lights out as a team. And it just, the guys I talked to, they just wasn't the right team. So then I, then it back to, I went back and like, okay, what, what are other things and what are businesses that I want to get into? So I was, again, I was shopping all these kind of together and those other deals. But then I found a partner, Dan Young, who I ended up partnering with, who is incredible in crypto. Mm-hmm. So he has been doing, um, he had the largest mining facility in Utah in 2014, had a full warehouse. So think about 2014 mining, mining Crypt. bitcoins, doge coins. Actually, doge coins is the biggest thing. He'd wow. mined. Now at the time he didn't know the value. He actually yeah. would just transfer them straight <laughs> to bitcoins or whatever. If he would have kept doge coins, he'd probably be a, you know, deca billionaire at this, wow. at this point. But, um, so he's been doing crypto for a long period of time. 
um, independently himself and his other companies, Inc. 500 winner, has been over 600 million in sales, has sat on the board of Intel for 15 years, very qualified individual and loves crypto and trades and does very well in crypto. Mm -hmm. um, and he's got a ton of billionaire friends and clients that actually are trying to give him money in crypto. Please just manage it for us. And he always just told them, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to manage. I'll just do it myself or I'll just, I'll hop on a Zoom call. I'll teach you how to do it, but I'm just going to do it myself. And then finally we came together and he said, you know, could we do a fund around this? And I personally said, I, I really believe in blockchain. I think it's inevitable. I think it's the future. I think, uh, and if you look at the stats, we can dive more into it. Uh, I believe 18 countries have announced a central bank digital currency. Yeah. They are moving there. China already has a central bank digital currency. 36 countries are in development of a central bank digital currency, including the United States, by the way. We yeah. can talk all about that and what they're doing. But they just, the New York Fed just did a 12 week test with the digital dollar. They're launching the Fed Now protocol right now. There's a bunch of stuff going on um, in crypto. And so I thought, man, this is an emerging space I want to be in. Um, Dan, he was like, dude, I'd love to do a fund. I just don't know how a fund works. I don't even know the first thing about it. And I said, hey, I gotcha. I'll, I'll figure out the fund. So we ended up, it ended up being a great partnership. So I built out all the fund mechanics, all the legal, all the structure, all the audits, the third party administrators, the, the compliance. I worked with Dan to raise money together. We had both raised money together and um, we launched that fund just over a year ago. We raised $10 million in our initial launch. It's an open-ended fund, so we're still raising money. We're a 506C, by the way, so we can actually, I can publicly talk, talk about, about this on it, a yeah. podcast just for people who are wondering. Um, and it's been phenomenal. So, uh, sorry, I'll stop there if you had other no, questions. Yeah, that's kind of well, how we started. Well, no, that's great. Let me ask a little bit about this actual partnership intricacy. Uh, so did you actually pitch Dan on the fund did, or did he come to you and say, hey, we should do this? And uh, you know, how did you guys actually determine that? Because you both have other businesses mm -hmm. and you have other, you know, commitments. Like, I think that's a piece of the equation that a lot of people have a hard time with when they're first getting their fun off the ground. So like, how did that come together? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Me and Dan are both, he, he's a high powered entrepreneur. He's yeah. doing lots of revenue and, and we have fun launch. We're growing like crazy and other stuff. And so I don't remember how it exactly the conversation, but we both mutually came together and just, I, we were like, dude, a fun to, on this would be amazing. And I was like, Dan, we, I think, no, I don't know anybody else in the space that's as qualified as you that's running a crypto fund. Yeah. There's some scammer people out there like, yeah, we're going to fund, but no one's yeah. like done this for a decade. And also Dan's, you know, got some gray hairs. He's ran a business and, and I've, I bring a lot of experience from the fund space. I don't know anybody that does this. Yeah. I was like, Dan, I think we could, I think we could run a billion dollar fund here in the next five years doing this. So we mutually came together. I said, Dan, if we're going to do this, we got to run a test portfolio. So we went out and we actually set aside money. We, he ran a test portfolio for about four to six months. And we, uh, he had a few analysts and other people he was working with that he's like, I want to test them out too on trades and how they're going to do things. And we both mutually said, we don't want to day trade crypto people. We, I don't personally, I don't know a single day trader that has lasted more than five or six years. Yeah. Most day people that literally truly day trade, they almost always blow out their account at one point. And so we said, we don't want to day trade. We want to get into good positions that potentially yield and have yield farming strategy or a liquidity pool strategy where you're producing yield. You're in good positions that we do a lot of research around. So we went out and we did a test portfolio for about four to six months while running these other businesses. And I said, Dan, after that test period, if it goes well, let's go gangbusters and do this. And this is at the, uh, kind of at the, during the last bull run with crypto. So this is 2021. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Um, people are excited about crypto too. So people are begging us. We have a potential investors like we want to put money in, please. Like, and we're like, hold on, we got to run our test, but we got to make sure this works. We got to make sure it's a really good portfolio. Getting that track record. Yep. So we ran that test portfolio. It went well. We actually um, ended up, you know, a couple of those analysts we didn't end up working out with. We didn't, they just weren't as qualified as we thought. We brought in a couple of other different people to be a part of the team. 
we then went through, we built the whole docs. We then started soft raising money and pulling money together. This is into, uh, let's see, 20 early Q1, Q2 of 2022. Now, if you remember that time period, that is when the market turned. Yeah. Uh, crypto fell. I think we, we had about 36 to $38 million verbally committed to us in about a month, month and a half, just from people we talked to pitch calls, all that kind of stuff. So we had a, a decent amount of capital ready to come in. Mm -hmm. Uh, that month, the S and P fell well over the, it was about three months. S and P fell about 20%, 15 to 20%. Dow fell a similar amount. NASDAQ fell even more. Crypto fell about 40% in that period. And so people got beat up. Wow. Same time interest rates start rising and we are literally like, okay, launch date is happening. We have like our capital call we're doing. So we are calling investors and everybody is like, right hey. at the bottom. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, like, it is, <laughs> it is just, it's going down and every day. It's getting worse. Cause investors are like, well, yeah, I was in for a million, but now, you know, I'm in for a hundred thousand. Yeah. Like a 10th of what they, and we're like, well, are you sure? You know, well, I got, you know, I got a real estate thing now. I'm getting squeezed my business. We don't know what to do. And so we said, well, whatever you, you know, it's an open-ended fund, just come on in. We'll just, we'll, we'll knock your socks off. So come on in. So we ended up launching our fund June 1st, 2022. We pulled in uh, over right, right around 10 million. So from 36 to 10, that's a good lesson in there right there. Yeah. From Holy verbal, cow. when people tell me I have this much soft committed, I've got 20 million soft committed. I go, okay, well, let's see what it see actually that. turns out to be. A lot, of, a lot of funds I talk to, it's usually about half. For us, it was about a third just because of how far it fell. Now, after about a couple months later, a lot of those people then ended up coming in the fund later. Mm -hmm. But it was just, it was, and I'll just say that blatantly on a podcast like this. It was, you know, an interesting just launch of a fund. I was calling people, trying to get money. Anyways, we got money in June 1st. Um, literally the next week, crypto falls another 20%. Wow. So it just falls right. off a cliff. This is after you called capital? Yes, yeah, so we've called capital. Now, thankfully, we were, we were, we didn't, we kind of saw some things coming. This is right when Luna Terra blew up. Uh -huh. which we actually called. We knew it was happening the week before, which is really cool because of Dan. Um, this is, and then this is going through the summer. It's very choppy. So during that period, crypto fell from its peak about 77%. Wow. Which is crazy. Now our whole portfolio, Jeez. we built it around risk mitigation, which a lot of investors didn't like actually at the time because crypto was up and it's like, gee, upside, we're going to, yeah. you know, it's up and to the right. Let's just go long everything. We said, hey, we need to mitigate risk. We need to watch because it's, guess what? It's the, elevate it's the uh, elevator down and it's usually the stairs on the way back up yeah and we are at a point where we think the elevator is going to drop and so we need to mitigate risk so last year we launched our fund crypto fell 77 percent broad market our fund fell 17 percent hmm. which is really good we we outperformed bitcoin and ethereum literally by 30 or 40 percent somewhere in that range don't quote me on that but it was pretty good for the end of the year um and then we've rebounded really well so this year crypto has come up where i think as of today we're sitting just over a thirty thousand dollar bitcoin um, our fund is up 25% for the year. We are, and I haven't got the most, but uh, per our last report, we were beating Ethereum by 15%, something like that, and beating Bitcoin by 17%, somewhere in those ranges, double digit, um, beating both those exchanges. We've, we're beating the S&P, we're beating the NASDAQ, and uh, I think we're just like 1% behind the Dow or something like that. And every we get reports every 15 days, but we've historically been beating all five of those indexes since inception, which has been really cool. Yeah. Well, so I want to dive into this risk mitigation thing. You know, Warren Buffett always says, you know, the number one rule of investment management is just don't lose money, right? Mm, and the yep. second rule is never break rule number one. Yeah. So, you know, talk us through, I think it's an important element that a lot of people overlook when they're, you know, starting funds is, uh, you know, those these precautions. So t tell us about some of the risk mitigation strategies you use. Well, and just, yeah, just to do the math, if you lost 50%, you have to get a hundred percent return to break even. Yeah. If you lose... 
20% in your position, you've got to get a 20, it's like a 25 and a half, 26% return to break even. Uh, a lot of people don't like realize that just face value. That's how it works. And so if you can mitigate these falls and make these falls, especially in a volatile market like crypto, over the long period of time, over a decade, you can perform very, very well. So some of our risk mitigation strategies we put into buckets and I can draw the whole pie chart for you, but about half of our portfolio is in a, a I would call it a risk mitigated format mm -hmm. where we are, we do a lot with liquidity pools. So what these are, if you've ever traded crypto before, just make things simple. Whenever you trade crypto, they typically charge you a gas fee. So you trade a Bitcoin to Ethereum, they charge you what's called a gas fee. It's like, even it can be a couple hundred bucks sometimes, depending on how much you're trading or a thousand bucks, depending on how much you're trading. It's actually sometimes can be very high. And what that is, is because someone is providing liquidity. You're acting kind of like the Federal Reserve or a central bank where you provide liquidity that I hold Bitcoin and I hold Ethereum. And when you transfer those, I actually facilitate that transaction. And because of that, I earn a fee for doing so. On a decentralized, so on a centralized exchanges, like Coinbase or Crypto.com, they actually keep all those fees. So you can go to Coinbase and like, right, not anymore actually after the SEC, but you used to be able to go to Coinbase and stake, you could stake a coin and earn mm -hmm. like 6% yield. Yeah. In reality, Coinbase is making like 25 to 30% on that. They're paying you Cut six, the but they're making the other, the huge chunk of the margin on those fees. When you go to a decentralized exchange, you can actually make the majority of those fees, if that makes sense. And so we uh we can go and, and stake so for example if we hold let's there there's two coins that we like let's call them bitcoin ethereum we like those coins but also every year we just get the transaction fees by holding those coins on the and instead of earning four percent on crypto.com we're earning 25 percent or 28 percent on these fees and by the way when there's volatility those fees spike so when there's a crazy time like a banking crisis those fees go from maybe 10 percent to 80 percent right on a, if you turn an annual apy so they can jump and spike very hard um additionally we have a full strategy we hold about 40 to 60 coins at any given time we do a lot of research on the coins we hold on the positions we hold on the contracts sometimes those contracts can get hacked you can lose your money anyways a lot of research that goes Are you behind 100 like percent deployed at any given time no no yeah we keep um one of our buckets 25 percent is actually in that's our lowest yield bucket yeah. is primarily in stable coins gotcha. so those stable coins we hold as and as a dry powder for us uh they'll they'll yield two to five percent a year so they yield a little bit kind of like holding a bond mm -hmm. but at any given time we can use that dry powder to get into new brand new positions that we see coming and we want to be a part of so we have 25 percent low yield we have then have 25 percent we call it mid yield we then have 40 percent, which is high yield that's ecosystem interop that we do um and then we our last 10 percent of our portfolio is moonshots so we actually, we do have a, a portion of our, our, of our portfolio to moonshots. That's where we, you know, we, now we need to see a docs team. We need to see utility on those coins and we need to see a clear roadmap. So we do actually a lot of research. They're not just, just crazy dogs on coins. We actually do a lot of research. We want to make sure there's actual real utility in these tokens and actually a the utility, better way to say that is like software. Is there actually a true like software company behind this token? Yeah. Is it just something that's made up or is it actually like a, and we can give you a bunch of examples, but there's some really cool actually utility based tokens and some of them have the potential to truly moonshot and so with us if we can mitigate risk if we can produce a good apy every year but then we also have some really good moonshot positions over the course of a decade we're hoping that a handful of those hit and pay back our fund 10 times over while we were producing yield the whole time wow awesome so you're managing about 10 million right now uh, it's up, it's up. Well, it's, it, it depends on the crypto market, right? Yeah. Of, of, and then we do distributions and stuff, but it's above 10 million now. 
So yeah. well, tell me about that. Do you read, do you go back to a, like an original balance at the end of every year? Do you let the fund compound or we do every calendar end of every calendar year? We distri distribute, you distribute so December calendar. 31st, we distribute any profits. We do our whole carry and split at the end of the year. So it's just going to be your principal, your principal investments at the end of every year. Yeah. So now investors can reinvest that back in. Yeah. They can add that back in if they want, but they can also take a, a cash distribution. Yeah. We did that. We, uh, there's an, uh, currently there's sec is deciding on it. It looks like they're, I think they're going to put it into effect where all hedge funds have to do that. You mm -hmm. actually have to distribute profits. Um, some hedge funds run for a decade and never distribute profits to their investors. However, the managers are taking distributions the whole time. They're taking their carry and their management fee. So they're taking carry management fee for 10 years and their investors or clients have never taken actual a distribution. And so I think the SEC is going to make that change where they're actually going to force hedge funds on a schedule. I don't know what the schedule will be. We just, we guessed it would be an annual schedule and we, and we didn't want to do that as well. We wanted actually our investors to have payouts and distributions. Yeah. And it's almost a good marketing expense too. They, they go tell their friends they want to get back in and they can compound their money. And, yeah. Yeah. So uh, give or take 10 right now. Between uh, 10 and 20, I think 10 and 20. I, I won't give it because the number changes yeah, every no, day, that's but fine. between 10 and 20. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's, you know, you said, you mentioned earlier that you want to be a billion dollar fund here in the next, uh, you know, a couple of years. Like what's your, you know, what's your roadmap to get there? Uh, are you going to launch subsequent products that have different trading strategies? Is it just this one fund that you think can take you there? Um, cause I know you've started with, uh, accredited investors and you know, you're going to start you know, going after more family office, larger investor profiles. Yeah. I'd love to just hear, you know, how you plan on scaling your firm over the next five years. Yeah. So it's funny. We go back to, it's funny being in a crypto winter right now. So we had a lot of family offices lined yeah. up and during the last kind of crash, they've all just, they said, we, we think you're great. Your team is awesome. Just, we are scared of the asset class of crypto in general. Yeah. We have zero crypto exposure. When two years ago they, Hey, we want three to 5% of our family office to be exposed to crypto. Now they're saying we want zero. So we've got to spend a lot more time saying, Hey, you know, this is like buying real estate in 2010. You know, we are at the, like, this is the time it's still the, still the same roadmap, still all the cool stuff that's going on. We still have a central bank digital currency we believe is coming. We still believe that there are all these, it's, in, it's inevitable how good this technology is over the long period of time. And uh, we got to, so we have to help them have a mind shift. So there's a lot of, a lot of educating. Yes. A lot of educating that's going on. So we actually currently are working with a, a number of family offices that are, they're just kind of waiting. Um, their, their managers are still very nervous that we've had a banking crisis. Their portfolios been beat up the last year. And so they're like, really, is this the right time to make a, you know, a bet into a new asset class that we don't really fully understand yet. So now though, with this last few weeks, they're starting to warm up to this. So just a couple of days ago, um, Citadel, BlackRock, Fidelity and Schwab all announced they're getting into crypto exchanges. Mm. This comes on the heels of the SEC going after Binance, the SEC going after Coin, Coinbase. Um, and so that's actually perked up a lot of ears of family offices like, oh, okay, big money starting to get into this. So anyways, it's just, it's funny to try to, you know, and there's some family offices that are very like, we're in, we have a few of those that have already invested with us. And then uh, we have a lot that are like, Hey, we're just, we are, we have to, and we have to sit down with them and you'd be surprised actually how little they know about crypto. Yeah. And these, this is a professional family. We're talking to the CE, the CFO, the full management team, the at, like these are asset managers and they don't know the first thing about crypto. Wow. Like the first thing, like we have to, we, we spent an hour, it's an hour and a half with this one family office. I mean, they had no clue what like what even a blockchain meant 
in the most basic sense, we, we, we spent 45 minutes just, let's just talk about what this technology is and how it yeah. even works. And, and so there's a lot of, there's still this big education gap and, and people right now, maybe listen to this about crypto. Um, and now I'm not just, I'm not a crypto maximalist, like yeah. just everyone's where I don't like my whole net worth. I have 10% of my net worth in crypto. Yeah. Maybe 11. I still own a lot of real estate. I invest in a lot of companies. Like I do a lot of that, but I, I think, I think people should have exposure to this asset class, whatever makes sense for you and your personal portfolio, but not financial advice. But I just think, I don't know, it's a, it's an interesting asset class enough to have some exposure to. Yeah. And so, and if you can do that through a risk mitigated process, that's kind of where it's at. So back to your question roadmap, um, we are now transitioning to, we are kind of stopping pitching. We're not really pitching accredited investors anymore. Yeah. There's a good base, whatever it's built as a good tracker. And a lot of them want to see, Hey, we want to see you guys in this game for three or five years before we invest, which is totally fine. But now we're shifting our full focus to larger, like mid to large family offices and even starting to push to institutions. Um, now that we have a tracker, we do, we're doing a full audit on our fund. We do an annual audit every year. They, that's what they want to see. They want to mm -hmm. see stuff like that so that we can just show that we're legit. We're, you know, cause their, their red flags are all up just cause we say crypto. It's like 10 red flags that go up. So we've yeah. got to show here, here's our audit. Here's our, all of our compliance stuff. Here's our third party administrators. Here's our performance over like, you know, here's our nav reports, all Security the stuff. Security protocols, right? You guys yep. take that really seriously. So, which is we're starting now to warm up to bigger check sizes. Um, it takes time, it takes right? A lot, time. a lot of people don't realize that, yeah. right? When you're, when you're barking up an institutional tree or a big family office, like you're, you're from your first meeting to investment doesn't happen, you know, in yeah. a few weeks or even a few months sometimes. Yeah. It can be years, right? That they're watching you and following you. If we were running a real estate fund right now, like we, I, I think we'd be well over 150 million right now. Yeah. Cause it's just, when you pitch real estate, you have depreciation. You know, it's a lot, just, it's a lot easier. So they're already sold on the asset class. It's a lot just simpler. You can actually see the asset when you're pitching someone on crypto, like it's just way different. Yeah. I, I, I almost equivalent like a $10 million crypto fund is worth a hundred million dollar real estate. Fund. I could totally see it's, that. That's kind of how I yeah. think about it. You know? Yeah. Well, Bridger, what's, what's been the hardest part about running a fund and being a fund manager? Um, just in general or yeah. across the board, across the board. It could be raising money. It could be actually managing it. It could be working with investors. It just could be the startup, just the day to day of you have a bad trade, you know what, you yeah. know what, what's been the hardest part? Um, a couple things come to mind, I guess. I'll just spit them out. I don't know if it's in order. Uh, with a hedge fund, there's been, we try to not day trade and stuff, but there's the last year, I mean, we've seen a, this crazy crypto cycle. So we've seen FTX blow up. We've seen the depegging of USDC, the banking crisis, which affect crypto. Those are the three largest crypto banks, right? By the way, that blew up. I don't, people don't realize that Silvergate, Signature and Silicon Valley Bank they were in charge of, I don't know, 80 to 90% of all crypto in the United States. Yeah. Um, we were up late all those nights, like about whole weekend we were working, you know, <laughs> to try to watch and get news and like, where are we going to move and thinking through our positions and how we're going to structure. So there's a lot that happens there, which is kind of fun too. It feels like you're doing a, you know, this running this big fund, which is kind of cool, but those have been some stressful moments, especially last year, FTX blowing up, Lunaterra, Genesis Global. I mean, you can name, there's 20 crypto companies that have like blown up. Yeah. I tell people, you can't get much worse news about crypto. Like <laughs> when you talk about like invest when there's blood in the streets. Yeah. Like there's blood all over the streets right now. And mm. it's actually, we, that makes us so excited though. Like we are grabbing positions at such discounts of really good technology, really good utility. So anyways, and obviously I'm optimistic. We're generally long on crypto yeah. most of the time. And, but it's, we're pretty excited. So that would be the first thing. Investors actually, we've, we have great investors. We've worked, some people have really a lot of problems with investors. Our investors have been great. They've been awesome to work with. 
Um, we've had a lot of, a lot of great time with our investors that might change in the future, but investors have been great. Um, compliance so far, always compliance is always just, it's not the funnest thing to do yeah. to make sure everything ducks are in a row and stuff. That's just part of the job though. Um, but anyways, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, I, I want to revisit, uh, you know, as you were talking, just do you plan on launching subsequent products uh, that have different pr strategies or is it just the one that you're running with? So we, we believe this will be our flagship product because it's, it's this product we built is built for family offices and institutions. It's risk mitigated. It takes all the old school investing principles and just plugs them into crypto. So we believe this will be our flagship product. We might launch a, a uh, or transition to a 3C7 fund where we can take 1,999 investors and take qualified purchasers. All through the same vehicle. Though. Yeah, but the same sh core strategy. We've uh, discussed launching an ETF fund. Mm. ETFs currently are dead, but still have, I think, a lot of utility behind them. So a full ETF fund. We've also looked at launching a full, we call it like a moonshot fund. So for, for people that just love adrenaline and just want crazy, you know, highs and lows. So we take that 10% of our portfolio and that would be a hundred percent moonshot oh, wow. fund. Um, we've actually looked at doing those subsequent, subsequent products um, in the coming years. And is that opportunities that you've seen as a manager, like an opportunity in the marketplace or are these investors that are asking for these types of products? Uh, it's been both both yep cool so we've had yeah we've had a lot of people ask about when nfts were really hot can we please get this and actually our team has done very well on nfts just individually yeah so trading and buying and, and there's a lot that you can do within the nft space um and then the moonshot product we have some people that just want straight adrenaline they're just like dude i just treat this like casino money just throw it in like i i either want to be a billionaire or i want to have zero money at the end and so and we're like hey our fund really isn't built for that like we're we're built to preserve capital and grow it over a long period of time and so it's been a, it's been a mix of both. The moonshot fund has been more from investors asking yeah. for just more adrenaline. Yeah. So we may or may not do that one, but we'll see. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, I want to ask you, you know, to other emerging managers, prospective fund managers out there or current fund managers, you know, like, uh, you know, just want to give you some time here to like, what advice would you have for these individuals that are, that are, that are looking into being a fund manager? I think, uh, you got to play business as an infinite game. Signing Syndic put this great thing out about finite games versus infinite games. A lot of us try to make finite games. We try to play life like sports. There's a, you know, you have a time clock, you have a winner and loser, and we try to make things that are infinite into finite. Like you don't win at marriage. That's an infinite game. The, the goal of marriage is to continue to be married and be happier and happier, but you never like win at marriage. Mm -hmm. The same thing's true with business. And I think running a fund, you never really win at running a fund. Yeah, you can set timestamps like this year to this time, but the goal of running a fund or running a business is to play the infinite game is to stay in business yeah, and to keep growing that business over a long period of time. And I think a lot of people get into business with a, a finite mindset when they're really playing an infinite game. And by the way, the infinite game mindset always trumps and beats the finite mindset. For example, United States went to war with Vietnam. They came in with a finite game. We're going to come, we're going to kick out communism, we're going to win. And the Vietnamese or the local people had an infinite game mindset. Same thing's true with Afghanistan. This is our homeland. We will fight forever. And what happens typically is the infinite mindset typically ends up kicking out and winning the finite mindset that happened in Vietnam. It kind of happened in Afghanistan. 20 years we spent there and we just said, hey, we just, we can't keep doing this. And they, and they are there. This is our homeland. This is where we live. We will keep doing this forever. And the infinite mindset always beats the finite mindset. So back to the question about running a fund, having an infinite mindset. Currently I'm 28 years old. 
my mindset, even with my first two funds was I want to just, I want to be in this game mm-hmm. and I want to be in this game forever. And so I need to do treat investors, right? I need to be honest. I need to make sure things are done properly with compliance. Like I need to make sure I'm, I'm straight with the sec, like everything's mapped out the right way. And even if that costs us a few dollars up front or whatever, like I'm playing the infinite game. I'm way more interested in with an investor coming in about giving them a good experience and good performance with our fund. Because I know if I do good to them today, that will produce five or 10 or 20 times the capital in the future. You look at these great fund managers that are today, a Ray Dalio, a Warren Buffett, uh, a Jim Rogers that we had at our event. Almost all, actually all three of those started their first fund in their 20s. Their mid to late 20s was their first fund was launched and they played the infinite game. And now, you know, they're older in their 70s, 80s, 90s. And we talk about them like crazy. Today. It, it was 60, 70 years ago. They started this game and they started with $100,000. They started with $50,000 and they played the infinite game with markets, with their fund there. Their fund didn't blow up. It didn't go bankrupt. They just kept playing the infinite game. And ta-da, today, wow, I can't believe Warren Buffett or Ray Daly or all these big names. They've been playing this game since they were 26 years old. And they had a fund, actually. It wasn't just they were kind of trading. They had a fund when they were 26 years old, 27, 28 years old. So my advice to any person in the that's aspiring to be in this game, whatever, I would say get in the game and play the infinite game. It doesn't matter if it's small today. You're not playing for today's money. You're playing, I, I, you know, I'm playing the get rich long game, not get rich quick game, but I want to get rich and get really rich over the long period of time. Yeah. And funds are an incredible vehicle to do that. You're in the right vehicle and you're right at the spot. And if you can find a great management team, a great process and system, and you can be compliant and follow the SEC and just treat investors the right way, that will pay compounding dividends over the course of your life. Love it. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, just a couple of rapid fire questions here to wrap up, you know, any, uh, any habits you feel like that have contributed to your success? Um, I am an active proponent of morning routines and just routines in general. And I change my routines all the time to try to optimize and find what works best for my energy, um, and my life and my health, uh, your brain and how you show up to work every day is I think the biggest metric of being successful or not. If you're full, if you're full out and have energy and focus, you can accomplish anything in in this life. The contrary, if you're depressed, if you're sad, if you're kind of tired, typically nothing really gets done. And so if you can train the internal, your, your body's an incredible thing. It has internal energy. It has other stuff. If you can train your body to access that kind of stuff, you can do really well. So a couple of things I've, I've tried out, I've tried intermittent fasting. I did that for about a year and a half. That's where you eat for eight hours a day. You don't eat for 16 hours a day. Love doing that. Um, really changes the energy in your body. It pulls out different energy from like stored fat in your body. Really interesting. Uh, currently I love doing ice. I do an ice bath every single morning. I did a sauna this morning for 30, 35 minutes, a very hot sauna where you're like uncomfortable. Like you want to get out. What temperature? Uh, well, I think my thermometer is broken, but we're around 170 with about 80% humidity. Yeah, that's. Um, but I think it's anyways, I, I, I actually, I do doubt that I just do it till I just am uncomfortable. I put it as hot as until I'm like uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I love doing that, trying to get eight hours of sleep, like, and, and then working out getting your brain, right. I don't know the people talk about getting sunlight. I've tried that before in the morning, whatever it is to where you show up at eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning, whenever you show up to work and you have full energy and that energy can sustain you throughout the day. I'm a big proponent of anything that does that. So cool flow periods. You can do 40 minutes. I, I actively study this and I, I treat myself as like the sample, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to try this out. And I, 
you know this we always talk about energy drinks i'm a i'm a i don't like energy drinks just because i don't want my body to be dependent on energy from a can yeah or energy from another source i want to have energy come from within me and from the food i eat i really track like what i eat for lunch how do i feel at two o'clock mm-hmm. if i eat this for dinner how do i feel the next morning i think about all that stuff all the time because if i can train my body and mind to be in a peak state when i show up to work or on a podcast or a show and I do that, compound that over a year or five years or 10 years, I'm going to beat my competition. Yeah. And play, if I can play that infinite game and I can live a longer, happier, healthier life. So, yeah. Well, on the flip, uh, do you have any, uh, business pet peeves, right? Things that just drive you crazy in business that you're like, you wish people wouldn't do. Um, God, a ton. or investing. Uh, I hate when people call me buddy. <laughs> I've already I've said that before. <laughs> Never call me buddy yeah. or pal or what's up sport like yeah. stuff like that I've, I've and i i don't know maybe just because i'm relatively young i most of my business people i work do business with are twice my age yeah and if anybody ever calls me like buddy or pal i like i almost can't i like i'll hang up the phone like i just cancel the deal like i don't want because it just it feels like a total little <laughs> brother demean, thing and some yeah. people i know just the way they grew up they just call yeah. everyone but i get that right. but to me i just hate it uh <laughs> um i hate uh when people schedule like when you're in a group chat and it's like, Hey, we're gonna do this or that we hop on a zoom call. And there's just a lot of chatter yeah. about an idea and, and business lingo that sounds really nice. And these, all these little, little words and phrases that people throw around in MBA programs that don't really mean that much. And then they talk people love to talk about business. They rarely like to do business. I'm very ac- execution oriented. I'm very action oriented. And so I, it really bugs me if, if people are wishy-washy and let's set up another call and let's re, let's, let's visit, you know, let's circle back next week. And we'll, and I'm like, dude, we're, we're not, no one's going to do a thing from now until next week. Yeah. And we're going to show up to next week's zoom call and we're going, Oh, I forgot about this. Oh yeah. Let's, let's re talk about it. And then we just waste a week. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just decide right now? Yep. Be decisive. I'm going to ask you right now, be decisive on this decision. Yes or no gun to your head. Do you want to go forward or not go forward? Don't punt this to next week. Give me an answer right now. And that, um, sometimes people, I work my team. I try to, anyways, they don't yeah. like that very much. Cause I, yeah. I try to be very decisive and move quickly because money loves speed. So those are a few things That's that great. really bug me. Not really, but they bug me in business and, and, uh, and yeah. In life. Yeah. Yep. No, that's great. Bridger, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Talk to us about how you think about investing. Uh, honestly, stoked to you know, see where see where things go for you over the next couple of years, man. Well, it's going to be fun. And you as well. Well, and you guys don't know, me and Lincoln work together every day. Yeah. It's just fun to be in here and just kind of talk about this. We haven't, I don't think we've ever had a conversation like this before. It's been pretty fun. Yeah, so, it's been great. Um, love this show. Love what you're doing. So it's exciting. Cool. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for listening. As you know, we don't run ads on this channel. So if you could really help me out, if this podcast has added any value to you or your business, please subscribe, rate, and review. I would appreciate that greatly. Thank you. All information shared are the sole thoughts and opinions of the author. Do not take any information as legal or financial advice. You should seek a certified accountant and a professional legal team before taking any further action. We are not selling or soliciting a security in any way, shape, or form. This content is for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as financial or legal advice. Clients of Fund Launch or Black Card Capital Partners may maintain positions and securities discussed on this podcast.